we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. And welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the podcast where we bite into a juicy fruit to discover a mechanical clockwork underneath. What? Uh, this isn't what I wanted. No, no, no. It's, the, it's not organic, is it? It's not organic on the I mean, it's organic on the outside, wow. mechanical on the inside. You see, you always got to go fair trade with your... Uh, ah, that's the problem. Your... your Mechanical fruits. Uh, my name is Orlando. I'm joined by my roommate, co-host, and guest, Ned. How's it going, Ned? It goes. You know, it just it just keeps on chugging. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, mm-hmm. slipping. That too. That too. We're watching A Clockwork Orange today. Mm-hmm. It's a 1971 dystopian science fiction film adapted, produced, and directed by the legendary Stanley Kubrick, based on Anthony Burgess's 1962 satirical black comedy novel of the same name. It stars Malcolm McDowell as Alex, a charismatic antisocial delinquent, and the film chronicles his horrific crime spree, capture, and attempted rehabilitation. Have you ever seen this movie before? I have not. Uh, I have a father who is a big Stanley Kubrick fan, mm-hmm. so I've heard a bit about it here and there, but uh, yep, never beheld it with my own eyes. Uh, have you seen a lot of Kubrick movies, or no? Like a small handful. I'm like somewhat familiar with his work. I'm not necessarily. Uh, I think like the the one that left the most positive impression on me was probably The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remembered really liking that one. The so. Shining is great. I, Kubrick yeah. is one of those directors that like, when people talk about greatest filmmakers, his, yeah. his name is always in the mix. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, um, Dr. Strangelove. That's another uh, Dr. Strangelove is that great. I'm a big fan. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, all of his movies have um, pretty similar characteristics. They're all pretty deliberately paced. They all love to use symmetrical or mathematical imagery, like the way he sets up his shots are very symmetrical or mathematical. Um, mm-hmm. um, we're going to see a lot of that in this movie, his use of color, um, his use of camera movement, very deliberate. Um, and his themes, actually, he was a very eclectic filmmaker as far as like themes that he pursued. Uh, and he, all of his movies, even though he didn't make that many, um, they all span like different genres and they all are like really top notch examples of those genres. Yeah, I, I was going to say, because because, yeah, you were talking about like how uh, like the sort of the similar visual style. But like from from what little I've kind of seen of his work. And, and again, I've like seen some snippets mm-hmm. of like. You know, if, if not whole films, I've seen like you know clips from a few of his other films. But like, yeah, there's there seems to be quite a bit of divergence between each yeah. sort of individual project. Right. And uh, so, um, so yeah, I'm 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 curious to see what this one. Other be common like. things that that Kubrick films has because I am a very big Stanley Kubrick fan. I do think that he is one of the greatest filmmakers. If not, if, if maybe in my mind, he's probably the best filmmaker that I've at least like English language filmmaker. Okay. Um, 
but there are se several like problematic aspects of his work that I acknowledge. One okay. of them is his almost complete absence of strong female characters in all of his movies, not yeah. just this movie, but all of his movies. I think the only one that really has a strong central female character is Eyes Wide Shut, starring uh, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and also, like, I feel like his movies are the type of movies where when they came out, they were very controversial or they had, like, polarizing reviews. And it wasn't until many years later that people look back and they're like, oh, yeah, that movie is actually pretty fantastic. This movie is, is kind of like that. When it first came out, it actually did get really good reviews when it first came out, but uh, there were some pretty common criticisms about it. Uh, the um, content of, of violence um, was heavily criticized. In fact, this movie, when it first came out, was given an X rating, which is the precursor to NC-17. Uh -huh. And then it was re-rated as a rated R film. And it wasn't edited at all for the rated R. But So that's interesting that last time we watched Orgasmo, which is NC-17, and yeah. they, they tried to get that edited to get the R, and they couldn't do it. But this one didn't do any editing, and they brought it down from an X rating to an R rating. Did that Did that change in rating happen, like, after it was released? Or? Yeah, it did, but, but not... Too long after, yeah, because wow. because it wasn't rated R in England. It was only rated R in America. Yeah. I mean, sorry, X. It was rated X in America. Yeah, and then uh, it was it was like quickly re-released as an R rating. So it wasn't even like a long-term thing wow. without any changes whatsoever. Fascinating. Um, another thing about the movie is that so we're going to talk about. The violent content, obviously, this is gratuitous sex and violence, but an interesting thing is like the term ultraviolence, which we hear a lot in cinema, specifically like when you think about the works of like John Woo or you think about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Like those are the movies that we think of ultraviolence. Yeah. But that's a term that actually was invented by Anthony Burgess for the novel A Clockwork Orange. And it's used in this film. And so this is the film that first became. Um, Sort of like identified with that term ultraviolence. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about how, like, you know, how that term, like, kind of, you know, is it justified what, in what the movie? Is, what does it mean, even? Exactly. What, what, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's used as a slang term, but we'll talk about that more. And also, another interesting aspect of this movie of the themes. Obviously, there's a lot of themes that I'm not gonna like, you know, tell you what to look out for because they're pretty obvious. But there's one in particular that's really interesting to me, and it's like the main thing of the movie is uh, it's a criticism on aversion therapy. And one of the ways that aversion therapy, like we still see it today, um, is a lot of people who advocate for gay aversion therapy. Yeah. And so I want to talk about how this movie criticizes aversion therapy in the 70s and whether it's successful at like, you know, maybe kind of you know bashing that that type of psychology or pseudo psychology however you want to talk about it and how it relates to today and our and our criticism of gay aversion therapy specifically yeah, yeah. definitely interesting. so uh are you ready to watch a clockwork orange 
I am, yes. Now, if you guys at home want to watch this movie, it is available to stream for free if you have a subscription to Showtime. Or if you're a DirecTV subscriber, you can watch it on the DirecTV app. If you do not have either one of those subscriptions, you can rent it. It's available to rent on Amazon, Fandango, etc. Uh, it's a really great movie. It's one of Stanley Kubrick's best movies. Um, but he was, I think, Stanley Kubrick is basically like the Beatles. I feel like <laughs> even a bad Beatles album is still pretty fucking good. Yeah. And this is like, I, I would say that this is like middle of the road Stanley Kubrick. So it's really fucking good. Like the peak, the, the <laughs> sort of the the, the peak, the, uh, the the rubber sole revolver, right. uh, Sergeant Pepper era where it's just like, whoa, what are we doing? Right. Like, like, like if, yeah. like if we're going to talk. Like if, you know, the Beatles, Rubber Soul, Revolver, and Sgt. Pepper's are generally considered to be the three best albums, right? With Abbey Road also in the mix. So if we were going to say that that 2001, Barry Lyndon, and Dr. Strangelove are Rubber Soul, um, Revolver, and Sgt. Pepper's. Okay. Then this movie is more like Help. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's okay. The album that was like right before they hit the that, creative. Peak. That's a good inroad for me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm into that. Help for a while was my favorite ever. It's a great album. album. It's a great album. Um, yeah, definitely. So, so for you mus- non-music nerds out there <laughs> who who bored with us during that Look, analogy, <laughs> I'm not saying that the next two hours are going to be talking about this movie in terms of the Beatles' career, but <laughs> I've opened up the door. Like, and I did compare it to Help. Also, I just realized Help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, without further ado, we're going to watch Clockwork Orange. Then we'll be back after the break and play some trivia and discuss the movie at length. We'll see you on the other side. Mm-hmm. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. And we are back. My goodness. We just watched uh, Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. First reactions. Um, damn, what a piece of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to say, like, uh, yeah, this this one's got me interested in, like, revisiting Stanley Kubrick's work. Right. Um, um, I was blown away by Malcolm McDowell's performance mm-hmm. uh, as amazing. Alex. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a powerhouse. Um, he is a powerhouse actor, dude, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, it's really his movie, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, like basically everything else in the movie is is pretty pretty like minute and compared to him. Like it really is, and and it kind of yeah, it, it kind of brings to my yeah. There's there's something kind of. Yeah, there, there's like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but like, yeah, it's, this was a trend, I think, of like, of films that just all revolved around like one big central performance and like, right. just like, yeah, like a character study, I guess you could say. Yeah, it is like, a character study. Like, it's really a character study. He's very charismatic. Yeah, and he's, yeah, and, um, uh, I... I found the idea... I I think that the film has a lot of really interesting ideas going on. There's a lot going on. It's actually way more political and kind of 
seems to be exploring ideas on a lot of different levels Absolutely. that I uh, more than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it 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 probes some interesting questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I know we're certainly going to kind of delve into the themes we a are. fair mm-hmm. bit. But um, I'm I. I'm I'm finding myself curious about this kind of this kind of binary that the film seems to be sort of existing in in terms of like the idea of <clears throat> um what 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 one has to do about crime and society and right. stuff like that because How to deal with crime. because it's because the argument that the film seems to be sort of wrestling with is the idea of do you punish criminals and you know, like, 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 is is the right way to sort of, you know, to to punish them and to sort of met out this like uh, traditional style of justice. The idea that you do a crime and you get punished for mm-hmm. it, and then and then you're, you know, and or the the flip side of it being this idea of this sort of, you know. Uh, the, it's specifically talking about aversion therapy, but right. rehabilitation, but, but but like rehabilitation. Although, um, although rehabilitation is not usually done through aversion. Well, therapy. Th- that's a thing because I think it's like it's interesting that that the film seems to be about the back and forth between these two ideas of rehabilitation right. and 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 punishment. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it. It's and I'm I'm not sure how much of it is just a product of the film's time, uh, in terms of the it, how the film conceptualizes what those two things actually mean. Right. Because I think that, um, because I think that like there is, I mean certainly like the film is obviously very critical of the specific method of rehabilitation of aversion therapy mm-hmm. of this idea of like you know mental reprogramming and, and and conditioning and all of that stuff um which i think is a val which which i think is valid um, just just kind of in its own right like like there's a valid skepticism to this idea of like of like that you have to basically re reprogram a human being and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but I think that that's not to say that the idea of rehabilitation as a whole is necessary. Like, like I think the film sort of conflates that, that idea of that specific idea of rehabilitation with the idea that it is rehabilitation as a whole. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. And that therefore, the only other alternative is just a strict sort of dealing out of punishment when I think that I think that ultimately, like in theory, like the process of sentencing and incarceration should be geared towards a rehabilitative process. It should be about getting a person to a place where they are able to, you know, return to society and to not do harm to other Mm -hmm. people if they're specifically being imprisoned for, you know, doing harm to people. The problem is that, like, that rehabilitative process, like an actual, like, healthy rehabilitative process takes longer. Yes, not two weeks. Yeah, (laughs) you can't do it in, you can't do it in two weeks. And it has, and... And also because I think that, like, that's not to say that 
you know, there should necessarily be a, you know, yeah, it, it's it's it, it it seems to operate only on this one linear plane between it doesn't, it doesn't rehabilitation show us a third option. Yeah, without 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 kind of yeah, and and it doesn't necessarily speak to the nuances, and and there are tons and tons of nuances, and I'm sure that I'm butchering many of the you know many of the ongoing conversations about how prisons work and obviously right. i'm coming from my own context of the us prison yeah. system which is obviously particularly brutal and right. dehumanizing and 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 has a lot of problems mm-hmm. so um so so obviously i'm trying to you know i i want to be able to separate out my own specific understanding of prison systems through the us context um and and obviously this film is coming from its own very specific context, having taken place, you know, in 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 kind of a near fu- in a near f- future ver- dystopian, dystopian version, version of yeah. England as conceived in the 1960s and the 1970s. What kind of so, society do you think that we are we're talking about here? Do you think that there's still some sort of democracy involved, or is it more of a totalitarian authoritarian government? Um, I it seems like they're sort of. It seems like they're sort of in this, like, that's a good question, because uh, we don't get too many glimpses at Mm -hmm. the actual political system. We're only seeing, um, we're only seeing the politics as it relates to Alex's case and how he becomes this sort of pawn in the jockeying for... Um, political influence yeah. um, during during a supposed regime change. So it seems like there's something resembling democracy, but that there's this kind of. It almost gives me like a feeling. It's like know. it's like a like the like a Big Brother kind of feeling, but almost like the one like the same type of government that we encounter in uh, V for Vendetta in a way. It's the kind of feeling that. Yeah, that yeah. I, I, I don't get. I don't get sense that there's necessarily like a a sort of totality I, right. I don't i don't think there's necessarily like a totalitarian thing going on um i, I it's interesting that well i guess the 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 one thing that kind of goes against that is the the remarks at the end about how the writer um uh who uh who was assaulted towards mr the alexander how he was put away mm-hmm. and there's kind of no more there's right. no more reason to discuss what actually happened to right. him. So, 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 yeah. It seems like this this government is is uh, you know is is asserting its influence pretty strongly. Um, and Burgess's novel um, and the movie, to an extent, does try to criticize both extreme right and extreme left point of views, which I feel like the government is an example of the extreme right in this country or this version of, of, of yeah. England. And then Mr. Alexander and all of his activists, all of his activists, yeah. they represent the extreme left um, scenario and how they both kind of use Alex for their, to further their goals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's interesting because again, it's like you you would think that a a more right wing government would be kind of 
you, you'd think they'd be kind of okay with the prison status quo. So yeah. it's interesting that this particular flavor of the sort of conservative government um, is is very much. I, I may, maybe it is the most extreme version because of the idea that they they really want to reprogram yeah. people. And and the minister does make a point during that presentation of saying uh, he's going to be a good Christian man. Yeah. And, and also the fact that you know they they uh, you know that part of the, you know, part of the process because he's, you know, he's been accused, you know, he's, he's guilty of rape. And so part of the treatment is just completely removing sexual impulse from Mm -hmm. him altogether. That is what triggers those sickly, you know, impulses. Yeah. Aversion to sex and violence. Yeah, our, yeah. our podcast would, our, not, yeah, exactly. would not exist. Our, our podcast <laughs> is no more in the mind of 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 our of our dear Alex. Um, so so yeah, there there's definitely kind of yeah. I guess you, you could be right. Yeah, yeah. I take back that pushback. Like yeah, it's it does seem to be a bit of a bit of a right wing moralistic thing, but it kind of goes. Yeah, it's I I think, and and I definitely saw the. Um, I definitely saw like the skepticism in the film. Like the film seems, yeah, there there is definitely skepticism towards both the government and the sort of subversive element right. as well. Um, oddly enough, the film seems to be least least uh, skeptical about um, the prison itself. It seemed in a way, because it seemed right? like he was in a relative state of stability, right? And he like was, after two he years, was okay. and, and and he still when he still had his impulses, yeah. Um, but it but it seemed like you know he's 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 been removed from society as a whole, so he's not in a position to do harm, and mm-hmm. um, he seemed to certainly charm his his captors enough to you know uh, get a bit of trust from yeah. them. So. So yeah, it's just again, it's 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 not so much necessarily that I think the film is sort of wholly advocating for or against, you know, you know, one one approach towards criminality versus another. It's just more that it's 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 operating on this weird binary mm-hmm. um and and doesn't seem to leave room for much of anything else. And I and think, I, and I, I think, one I think it it runs into a problem because it's sort of operating on this very kind of it's operating on this kind of like I think like, you know, fairly outdated and puritanical conception of what criminality is mm-hmm. because it's kind of because like Alex's, you know, criminality you know, sees no, you know, it's just, it's just there. It's just, it's sort of saying, oh yes, there's a criminal element out there. And, and there are just some people. Like he's not a product of anything. He just is. Exactly. Yeah. It's like contextless. It's Mm -hmm. this idea that like all of this, all of this, you know, sexual violence and physical violence is, is just simply, yeah, it's just simply amorphous and some men happen to have it. And and I think that, like, you know, that's not actually the real nature of violence. There's uh, the, like, the you know, the criminality, quote unquote, like, I use very heavy quote unquotes for the word criminality because I think even the word criminality is incredibly fraught because, like, crime itself is a product of many different things. Mm-hmm. Like, p- people, you know, 
perpetrate acts of violence um, for many reasons that are that have to do with you know just like societal systems that have to do with things like poverty right. that have to do with um, you know ish, like actual mental health issues right. and like the thing is like you know desperation yeah like and 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 like in in this character's case you know he's he's got like you know a fairly well to do uh family and that he's pretty he much a with. sociopath and, yeah like that's a thing and 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 that's and and like we i don't even know if the word sociopath is ever necessarily used in the film but it's, it's not, yeah. but but like that is basically what he is yeah. and and that is like its own mental health issue right. but like indefinite and, and, need and, and, of rehabilitation actually yeah yeah something 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 that does need a form of rehabilitation and and I'm not even sure that we currently have like the tools to necessarily say that we've found we, yeah, a cure for it considering yeah. many sociopaths are billionaires right. and and are in charge of our society I wanted to ask um, you about the the way that um the film is portrayed to us because uh, we will talk about these issues a little bit more um, yeah, for sure. in a second. But um, so um, the film is delivered in uh, we, we hear it through his narration and most of the dialogue in the movie from especially from the younger people is delivered in this sort of um, slang that Anthony Burgess uh, invented for the novel. It's called NADSAT. Uh, and NADSAT is actually a Slavic word that basically means teen. It's like the the, Amer- the equivalent to the English teen. Okay. Um, and uh, I guess to imply that it's a it's a youthful slang. It's okay. a mix. It's a mixture of of um, British slang, Cockney rhyming slang, and uh, Slavic, especially Russian words. Now, I wanted to ask. Obviously, I feel like the language is very um, instrumental in in uh, the. And just like en- enveloping you in this world and yeah. just m- it, it does a lot of world building on its own because you kind of like get from the get go that this is like a different alternate reality. But I wanted to ask you just on a purely enjoyment level, since this is the first time you watched it. Do you think that language was a barrier for you to understand what was going on in the movie? You know, it's interesting because I, I definitely struggled a fair bit with um with comprehending specifically what was being said in many of the narration sequences, as well as like bits of dialogue in the film. Um, so I felt like I, I got the overall gist of what was going on, but was missing a few of the more salient details. Um, I would say though, that I, I liked it actually, because I think that, that, you know, the sort of the words that I did pick up and the, you know, turns of phrase that that are like, you know, twists on English that right. I picked up did prove to kind of actually be this like interesting insight into how his mind works mm-hmm. in the movie. This kind of, you know, just how and and kind of it kind of highlights his sociopathy in a way yeah. in terms of how he describes the various uh the the various uh, recreational activities that that he and his gang of droogs take part in, mm-hmm. um, so so it, it does kind of help us to to get like a, a sort of a, a a more intimate feel for like you know just 
yeah, the the level on which he's operating. It is. And, I find it also engaging because it like forces your brain to be active the whole time that you're watching. Yeah, you're trying to take information. Like even even during some of the, I know that we talked about how Kubrick is a very deliberate director. Yeah, and I feel like although this movie is deliberate, it's never boring to me it's always like pretty fascinating and part of the reason is because the NADSAT kind of keeps your brain engaged and so you're you're kind of paying more attention to what's happening yeah there's definitely a fair bit of me just yeah feeling like I had to lean in and 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 really sort of like apply myself to just taking in all the Mm -hmm. various details um uh but but I thought it worked Mm -hmm. I I definitely I definitely don't feel like it, it it didn't feel like anything in the film wasn't wasn't there for the taking, I guess, right. to, to, to... Or clear. Or, or, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I definitely... Yeah, I definitely didn't feel like I lost anything, even if there were, you know, specific words or exchanges that maybe weren't quite sussed out on the yeah. first go. The, and the images, the way that the story's told through images um, helps it, too. They both complement each other. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 and that's the thing, too, like, uh, to, to kind of go back to, like, Stanley Kubrick's, like, deliberate style, because, like, he, he is a... A, he like yeah I think actually deliberate is kind of the perfect word um we were having a conversation uh before we started recording about deliberate uh, as as a term for like the pacing of a film mm-hmm. and that's some films that are maybe a little slower right. more deliberately paced but like deliberate actually is a perfect word to describe his entire sort of directorial ethos because of, yeah. because of how how yeah just like how precisely yeah. everything is filmed and 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 the thought that kind of kept coming to mind was that like he he directs like he leaves nothing to chance in right. a way that and and that includes like scenes that are very frenetic and and where there is a lot of unpredictability in the performances but it's still just sort of very impeccably framed mm-hmm. in in such a way that you're you're getting just as much of the action as you need yeah. to to experience in that moment um so it's yeah it's very very interesting uh just on a sort of a film craft yeah. level to, very much so yeah. um one more thing that I wanted to ask you before we go into the trivia. Uh, a lot of people uh, find a comparison between this and American Psycho, and the no- both the novel and the film. In fact, a lot of people think that American Psycho, or, or call American Psycho the American Clockwork Orange. Oh. Um, do you, I know that you've seen American Psycho and you've enjoyed it, which is, it's a great film. Yeah. Do you find any of those comparisons when you think about it, now that I brought it up? Actually, in a way, um, yeah, that is kind of a uh, a perfect, yeah, that is kind of a perfect uh, <laughs> uh, fil- uh, film pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen American Psycho, so I I I, I don't know how deep I could get into the similarities, but certainly, um, but but certainly, it it's both films. Uh, I think are great examples of. Um, <laughs> of uh how how a uh how a criminal person is a reflection of the society in which they live right um i i think uh that that's certainly the case for uh for uh 
Patrick Bateman's character. Yeah, Bateman. Yeah, for for Bateman in Which, uh, American Psycho. The 1980s portrayed in American Psycho is a very dystopian kind of feel to it. A little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it is very off kilter. Right. And 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 there and, and yeah, it's like an interesting mix of like there's a bit of a dystopic feel to it, but also like the film has this this uh, sort of surreal sense to it. Yeah. Too. Which again, Stanley Kubrick is no Absolutely. stranger to surreal touches. Um, but but yeah, um, definitely in in terms of yeah these these sort of disaffected people who um it's interesting because because i think the the difference is that american psycho is an example of a person who is kind of quote unquote perfectly integrated already Mm -hmm. um in in spite of the fact that he is also like you know indulging to use a a not that great word in in, in, uh, in 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 these awful violent gro- in, proclivities. In these off- yeah, violent proclivities and stuff like that. Um, these violent uh, what is it? These violent delights have violent ends. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> um. The, the the perfect the perfect the perfect meditation on the nature of violence <laughs> is still season one of Westworld. Yeah, um, but uh, but uh, yeah. So so uh, yeah. Patrick Bateman's character is definitely, I think, more kind of like he he's more symbiotically like uh, you know acclimated to the the social dynamic in which yeah, he's, he's not integrated. An outcast. He's not an outcast. Whereas this film is more portraying an outcast and how society tries to reckon with this outcast. Um, and, and again, it's just like it, 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 it was a little frustrating just because of kind of how contextless this, you know, out his outcast status is that he just simply, you know, he just he just simply assails other people for no reason and breaks into homes to ravage and rape and 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 that's just like that and and the thing is like again it's like that that sort of basic conception of criminality is actually an incredibly damaging conception right. of real of criminality because it it's the it, it's that kind of attitude that leads to you know harsher penalties and mm-hmm. and leads to a sentencing system that you know, doesn't actually do anything about the root causes. It's, it's black of and the white. Violence. It's black and white thinking, and it's yeah. also the kind of thing that deals to people, f- that leads to people thinking that aversion therapy could work because yeah. it, because they don't have they don't have an idea that oh yeah these people can be rehabilitated. Like to them, it's like yeah. they're either going to be all bad or all good. Yeah, exactly, and and that's the thing because I I think it's it's a it's an incredibly smart film. It's just that. The fact that we don't actually necessarily get as much context for why he is the way he is, you know, it can it can it can lead to somebody, you know, taking away some some maybe not so helpful conclusions from the movie. Absolutely. Uh, So, yeah. So we'll talk more about the movie in a second. But first, let's play some Clockwork Orange trivia. Mm -hmm. This movie had a lot of details in it. There's a shit ton of details. Horrified of this uh, of this quiz, but we'll see how I do. Most of these questions, I will let you know, come from the first half of the movie because I find that the first half is where all the more memorable parts of the movie are, or at least for me. Um, so, okay. so okay. I was like, so I'm just gonna put, put pick mostly from the first Ooh. half. Okay. Um, okay. There's 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 one answer that I already have in my head, so we'll see we'll see if. If the question is asked. Let's see if I do, if I get it. All right. So as always, the trivia is going to be five questions and a bonus. 
uh, the questions go in order from least difficult to most difficult, and then the bonus strays from the world of the film. Nice. So are you ready for question number one? Absolutely. Your grand prize is going to be bragging rights if you get these right. Question Mm -hmm. number one, who is Alex's favorite composer? Alex's favorite composer is Ludwig van Beethoven, and that's B E E. That's it. That's, I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> the old Ludwig van, as he says. <laughs> um, it's and and it's that's such a great. Uh, I feel like you know that's a common trope. I feel like to have sociopathic characters that are into classical music like yeah. you see it in Silence of the Lambs um, or music period Patrick Bateman he's into music in yeah. American yeah. Psycho um, but, but Huey it's, Lewis in the news yeah. right but it's a really really nice touch um, for this character both in the book and in the and in the movie to really love Beethoven and the music in this movie is just really well used yeah um, now despite Alex's obsession with Beethoven the soundtrack contains more Rossini than Beethoven. Okay. There's here examples of Rossini there. During the fast motion sex scene with the two girls, uh, we hear the William Tell uh, overture. Uh, The slow motion fight between Alex and his droogs along the waterfront. The fight with Billy Boy's gang. uh, The invasion of the cat lady's home. And the scene where Alex looks into the river and contemplates suicide before being approached by the beggar. That's all Rossini's music. But it's also used to great effect. I really, yeah, I really absolutely. love all the music. Um, also, also, it was interesting the kind of the instances of like the synthesized versions of of many of the classical uh, music as well. Mm-hmm. Especially like when when he's uh, when he's drugged by the writer and then uh, wakes up in the apartment and and he can hear Beethoven's Ninth playing. But then when the camera pans down to um, to them in the room underneath, uh, it's it, it switches over to this like yeah this like sort of weird like synthesis like I don't know if it's like a moog or, th- or whatever yeah, it is the moog. But, yeah but like yeah just sort of that weird uh, alternate take on on the symphony. Now all of the moog synth score um, was done by Wendy Carlos, who is a legend in not only in the classical music world but also in the electronic music world. She was credited as Walter Carlos at the time, uh, but she underwent sex reassignment surgery um, right after this movie was released. And one of her fa- uh, fam- more famous claims to fame is a an album called Switched on Bach, which uh, is a collection of Johann Sebastian Bach works that were all um, done on the Moog synth with different instrumentations that were cre- that were uh, basically programmed by Miss Carlos and another interesting thing about her score for this is that this is the first synthesized score ever to feature a vocoder and you hear that in, in a lot of the the classical parts whenever the choir comes in and it's like this yeah. weird electronic sound that's the vocoder yeah it was, it was very weird very like eerie <laughs> she also wrote the main theme which is the only or piece of original music which we hear during the opening credits and we hear quite a bit during the rest of it uh, she, she wrote that the main theme for the clockwork orange as oh, well nice 
Uh, and we also hear her in The Shining, the opening credits of The Shining uh, feature Wendy Carlos as well. So Kubrick was obviously a fan of this. Good, good. That's good. They had a fruitful working relationship. All right. So you got that one. That was super easy. Let's go to question number two. Yes. Uh, this is a more music related question here. Oh, boy. At the record store, we see the soundtrack to which film also directed by Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be the soundtrack to 2001 A Space Odyssey. 2001. <laughs> Got a nice little chuckle from me there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In beautiful LP form. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. The soundtrack to 2001 is right next to John Fahey's album called The Transfiguration of Blind Joe Death. It's uh, a folk guitar album. It's a really great album. Um, the ninth track on this album is a song called Bicycle Built for Two, also known as Daisy Bell. It's the very same song that HAL 9000 sings when it's being shut down in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, damn, that's... Again, deliberate. De- fucking deliberate. <laughs> this asshole. Jesus. Yep. Man, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of effort to really, 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 you know, call out your own material there. Right. But well done. I, I, I'm impressed. Um, well done. Here comes question number three. Yes. Which facility is Alex transferred to for treatment? Oh God. Um, it's basically the name of the treatment itself. Uh, I, I I only it was like once I only I I only recall hearing it like once or once or thrice. So it was like the Ludovic the Ludovic facility. You're so close. You just need one more vowel. Do you want to take a gander? What vowel comes at the end of that? Uh, the Ludovica. Close. I I kind of want to give you partial credit because it's the Ludovico. It's Ludovico! Ludovico! Ludovica! 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 Yeah. It's the Ludovico Medical Facility. Ludovico. Okay. I do um, want to get, I'm going to give you half a point for that. I one, appreciate that. Because you that. did get Ludovic. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah, now that's also one of the most famous scenes in the movie is when he's being shown the films with his eyes pried open. I know that that was one of the things that you mentioned that you knew of the movie. Exactly. Yeah, I, I was I was expressing a little a little apprehension at this one uh, before we started rolling. Um, yeah, that that visual is yeah, pretty fucking harrowing. Yeah, um. <laughs> especially when they're putting in the clamps. I think that that's like yeah, it's not no, very comfortable. No, just no. I don't, I don't want things in my eye, you know. No. Now, sure enough, during the filming of the Ludovico technique scene, McDowell was scratched in the cornea, and he was temporarily blinded. That is fucking so. awful. But the the actor that was standing next to him during those scenes was an actual doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they did have medical professionals there to make sure that things happened, you know, as, as good as they possibly Relatively could. Relatively safely, I guess, yeah. considering he still came out of it with a fucking scratched cornea. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And he was uh, dropping saline solution into Alex's forced open eyes uh, to prevent the, his eyes from, from drying. Um, another uh, time that McDowell actually sustained real injury was during the stage show when he's being um, paraded in front of, of everyone um, after his treatment. Um, there's a scene, uh, or a part of it is when he's being like beat up, and McDowell actually sustained some cracked ribs during that filming. 
All right. Yeah, not 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 looking too good in terms of uh, safety <laughs> on set for uh, Mr. Kubrick here. We'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah. Here comes question number four. Okay. So getting a little bit harder now. This is going all the way back to the beginning of the movie. We start the movie here. What is the name of the milk bar that Alex and his droogs frequent? Mm, again, this is going to be one of those <laughs> things where maybe I get a handful of the syllables in the word. It's like the cool something. I don't know. I'm not getting as you many. You definitely do not get partial for okay, that. Fine. <laughs> it does start with a K. It's okay. the Karova Milk Bar. The Karova. Well, goddamn. Another okay. Russian-y sounding name there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In fact, boy, boy, what a boy, what a way to start your movie. Just like that, that pan out, like boom, like his uh, the close up of his face, like kind of like yeah. looking down into the audience and raising yeah. his glass to the audience, kind of thing. Yeah, and and then. Uh, well, yeah. For, firstly, the signature Kubrick stare. Yeah, because that's it, yeah. He really has a thing for, you know, like having male characters with their chin down, mm -hmm. looking Staring up at the camera the, yeah. to look scary as hell. Mm -hmm. um, but and then and then on top of that, just like seeing the furniture in the establishment yeah. and just like. Oh boy, what a what a world we are we are stepping into. Yeah, um, even even though so this is a dystopian sci-fi film and even though there's not a lot of like high tech in this movie, from the very first scene you do get a sense of like yeah, we're in a weird like sci-fi kind of yeah, environment. Yeah, it's yeah, it's more like the aesthetics of mm -hmm. the world, especially because like we see a similar aesthetic in um in the the like health club place that they go to or the the woman oh the health farm the cat yeah, the, health, farm. the health farm mm -hmm. yeah um yeah there's like a similar kind of right. you know very very like overly sexualized mm -hmm. art style yeah and um yeah i guess or i guess i don't, I don't know if i want to use the word overly sexualized but certainly like yeah these, it's definitely like, over present i think and i think that yeah. that's a, that's another point of the movie also it's like because you were talking about product of society and, and it's like everyone else kind of takes for granted that sex is just everywhere in this society yeah exactly which and, is, yeah, yeah which is interesting yeah that was an interesting detail um and uh yeah so uh, it's just uh, yeah it's just kind of interesting yeah, how it's it's there. It's like they're kind of like in the in the framing mm -hmm. of the film, but but then it never really quite. Yeah, there's there. It, yeah, they don't ever really. Yeah, they don't ever really interrogate that that much mm -hmm. more though. So now the Korova is named after the Russian word for cow. Okay. And Malako, which is written on the wall, means milk in Russia. The bar sculptures were based on the work of sculptor Alan Jones. And Stanley Kubrick had the milk dispensers emptied, washed, and refilled every hour because the milk actually curdled under the studio lights, that they were actually drinking milk. That's but in the, in the novel, it goes more into detail. We do hear it in his narration there at the beginning, but uh, in this world, um, milk it has been infused with different... Um, Substances. So basically, they're getting drunk or high off of drinking milk. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, kind of like remarking on how it, it like sharpens your senses. Mm -hmm. I guess so. So, an in, in interesting detail for yeah. sure. All right. So you missed that one. 
but you're not doing too bad overall. You do have some bragging rights. Let's see, here comes question number five. This okay. is the hardest question of the quiz. What hymn number do the prisoners sing in the prison? Oh, man. That was the wrong number for me to memorize. <laughs> oh, I... I almost asked you his prisoner number. Oh, and I would have gotten it right. I 100% would have gotten it I right. Thought, I um, thought since since you... I, I, what I thought was, like, since we're both theater guys and <laughs> we both know Les Mis and we're like... That's that's a detail that Ned would remember because... Absolutely, yeah. That you would make the connection. That would be... That would be... That would be question one. Um, but him number... Uh, that... Okay... Two zero one. <gasps> Not far off. It's two five eight. Fuck. Two five uh, eight. Okay. At least you got into the twos. Yeah. I was impressed with that. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, you did not get that one. No, no, that's not partially there. So you probably need the bonus. Here comes the bonus question. I do, I do. I think Give you're going to enjoy the bonus question. All right, it's because I'm at two and a half right now, right? So Yes, you are okay, at two cool. and a half. So for bragging rights, you need to get this right. Yeah, for some, at least. Frank Alexander's bodybuilding live-in nurse, Julian, is played by David Prowse who is best known for physically portraying which iconic screen villain? No way. Oh, I obviously know this one. That's David Prowse? Yeah. Whoa! Whoa. Wait, what year was this movie again? This was 1971. Okay, so so still a few years. Mm -hmm. Still a few years off. Um, it's it's merely a formality at this point. <laughs> but obviously, uh, the, the 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 great physical performance of David Prowse as Darth Vader Darth in Vader! the Star Wars movies. Correct. So, I love that question. I appreciate that question. Of course. Obviously, I needed it. So. Of course. I mean, I can't. I can't. You can't have David Prowse in this movie and me not ask you a Amazing. Star Wars. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. Thank of you. Of course, James Earl Jones played um, the voice yes. of David Prowse. And James Earl Jones has a small bit part in um, Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Yes, he does. So they both Amazing have connections. Kubrick connections. Yeah, not, not, not necessarily intentional in this right. case, but um, three, still. Three, through, is it three, three degrees of Stanley Kubrick? Yeah, yes, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. All right. So all, even though he's playing a 15-year-old, or 17 in the latter half, uh, Malcolm McDowell was actually 27 at the time of the filming. And we talked about... Oh, God. that's He, he was supposed to be 15 and right. then 17? Mm -hmm. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, no, not, did not look that at all. But um, but his performance, as we talked about, is 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 pretty great, pretty phenomenal. Yes, an, an amazing performance in its own right. But but yeah, the 50, 15 and 17, yeah, that's that's... <laughs> Those are babies. Fifteen-year-olds right. a baby. And um, I wonder, like, I, I wonder how much of the movie would have, like, the violence and, and, and oh, the, you know, his criminality would have maybe been more disturbing if he had skewed younger in age, like his look. I, I guess I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because I mean, it, it was clear from it was clear from the way the movie was portraying it that, like, yeah, there, there were meant to be a bunch of youthful lowlives. Like, I, I got that there were supposed to be youthful. Like in high school, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, especially with his mom, yeah, like, you know, haranguing him in the background about getting to school and all that. Um, so, 
Yeah, I, I guess, I don't know. It, it, it maybe would have been a little disturbing to see, like, younger actors doing all of that stuff. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of goes back and forth, though, because, again, like, he does have, like, Malcolm McDowell definitely has, uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell, he does have this, um, this very menacing presence right. too, and uh, but but it, it, yeah, there's like a, a gravitas to it almost as well. So I think we'd we'd kind of be seeing different things if you actually really did have someone younger, um, because y- yeah, and 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 maybe that is more in line with what the movie is trying to portray. Because mm-hmm. again, like it's it's sort of wrestling with this idea of like. What's society to do when right. when it's when it's you know this generation of youth is just so Far you know gone. wayward yeah. and 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 all that stuff. So yeah, it, 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 by by him being older, it kind of it kind of centers the movie a little more. Um, so I I would have been interested to see the version of this movie that maybe had like a more unhinged, restless like young person mm-hmm. um in that role i don't know that's a good question i uh, yeah i'm not sure where i let's come down uh, i think that leads us directly to our first segment so let's go to shots 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 first of all how many deaths in the movie Ooh, um, um all right again we're just talking about like deaths that happen on screen deaths okay well no one is Yeah, no one's actually killed on screen. There's only one that I can count. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is kind of great that if she if she dies on screen or at the hospital yeah, later yeah, on. Yeah, cause, yeah, because she's, yeah, it sounds like she dies at the hospital. So but it's, I, kind but of, it's the but, cat but lady is the one that the I, that's, that's the only one that I find, like. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, because he, he delivers the blow that kills her, right, for sure. Right, Um And she is, like, motionless when he leaves. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'd say that one, that one. Yeah, that works. That works for me. There is another death that he's responsible for directly. Yeah. The, and that's the, Mrs. Alexander's exactly, death. Exactly, yeah. Um, um, so we talked about in the beginning of this of this uh, episode how this is the film that coined the term ultraviolence. Which, yeah. Which we, we see in the movies, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino, John Woo, other Asian cinema, or other, Sam Peckinpah, like a lot of other directors. Um so what, how did you find the movie in terms of the quality of the violence? Did you find it to be ultra-violent? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, there... Yeah, there, there didn't seem to be, I mean, that much to speak of. I mean, certainly there... I think the, the most... The, the closest thing I could get to anything approaching Ultra would have been probably the brawl between them and the other rival Droog gang. Yeah, um, Billy's gang. Because, uh, because that one, that fight you know, had kind of a lot of velocity to it. There was a lot of them all kind of like running at each yeah. other and doing these big jumps. And, and that's all that the stuff. only time in the movie and that we get a big brawl like that too. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, I mean, like there is like the moment where, I mean, certainly they do 
perpetrate other acts of violence, right. like actual legitimate violence, especially like that scene where they're like you know beating the shit out of the old man, mm-hmm. um, and and then obviously later uh, the the, the old, and when the old men are beating the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, though um, it looks like the the youths delivered the harsher punches in in in, in comparing oh, yeah. those Absolutely. two. Um, but yeah, there's there's not that much to speak of in terms of. Yeah, like particularly gratuitous violence. I guess when I when I was hearing about like that the movie is kind of about, you know, this, you know, this this disaffected person in a gang who does who, they all just do all this wild violent stuff. Like I was I was envisioning more that they like you know, capture people and like torture them or right. stuff like that. Like, Dispassionate. I, like yeah, like I was yeah, I was expecting more. Yeah, I was expecting something yeah, a little more like directly like preconceived and sadistic um but they were but, just having a good old time yeah they're just kind of having a yeah a quote-unquote good old time right. just wandering around and seeing what opportunities fall their way right. um and again still obviously like awful horrific acts of violence yeah, still but, disturbing but um uh but but yeah it definitely seemed a lot more random and 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 yeah didn't uh yeah other than some of those flips and jumps did you find that the film's humor kind of helped to mask the violence because a lot of it is kind of told with like a teenage angsty sense of dark humor maybe a little bit i mean cer- yeah certainly there's a fair bit of style choices in the works that that um yeah i mean i mean certainly there's not a yeah there's not really like a raw feeling to the film at all like it doesn't ever feel like it's yeah it doesn't ever feel like super out of control at any Mm -hmm. point you know um it, it definitely feels like um yeah, it's very much kind of within. It, it's it it all it all is as subdued as, um, as uh, Malcolm McDowell's like narration as right. it goes on over. It. Even when it gets more frenetic and has more velocity to it, like it's all again still kind of caught within that same sort of deliberate tone that Kubrick's setting by, mm-hmm. you know, having it be, you know, underscored with classical music and and having that sort of, you know, ponderous and matter-of-fact narration right. going through it. So, it, yeah, it kind of all... Yeah, it, it, it yeah, it never yeah, it never felt super out of control. It, it all, yeah, kind of... Yeah, I mean, well-blocked, for sure. And, oh, and yeah. definitely a lot of really great moments. Um, I especially did love the slow-motion... The, the slow motion attack like by the water when mm-hmm. he ambushes the two guys that were kind of you know scheming under I mean it's it's like Kubrick was a, a photographer before he became a filmmaker and you can tell like he's his sense of composition is impeccable yeah definitely that scene that you're re- referencing to like every single frame is like a work of art yeah definitely yeah definitely yeah, it is one of the things where yeah, it's tough to find a bad frame like mm-hmm. in in just that one slow shot. Right. Um, so yeah, very very well done sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I feel like the movie uses violence um, almost like to set like it's like the setting of the film is like is like oh this is a, a world of chaos kind of thing a little bit yeah that's a thing is that it it seems to be more i i guess uh, i i kind of agree with you but it's almost more like it's 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 the setting of his state of mind a little right. bit too right it's that like it's it it is 
it is underscore because like the main journey of the film really kind of kicks off when he gets arrested mm-hmm. and that's sort of where the meat of the film's journey goes yeah all, the, all so, of the really violent and shocking stuff happens within the first 30 minutes of the yeah movie. exactly and then the rest of it is it's you're you're kind of and the thing is like that it it's you know he invests a good amount of time in it so they do a good job of like establishing like yeah this is just how he lives he you know he lies to his parents manipulates people and 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 has this devil may care attitude um but uh but he kind of also just you know seeks these thrills and and does so fairly arbitrarily yeah. and cruelly and so so you're so you, it does a good job of establishing all that so that you have all of that in the back of your mind as you're watching him then sort of be put through the various rungs of the system um and and so like you you never you never really lose a sense of distrust towards him, like as you're watching how he navigates things. Like even when he's when he's having the conversation with the chaplain in the prison, and you know, you you see him like sort of you know very eloquently saying that he wants to be good and he wants to find out about this new treatment and stuff like that. But also, it's like you you know that he was just fantasizing yeah, about just you know, to- biblical violence, right? And he not, just wants to get out. Like he doesn't. Really, yeah. That's all he cares about. Yeah. He's not really exactly. caring about being a, being, being a better person. Yeah. So 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 even if he's doing a decent job of convincing people, it's you know you you get the benefit of both just like the subtlety of his performance as well as just all of that scene setting beforehand about just like you know how how chaotically he behaves. Um, yeah. Let's go into the next segment. This one's called. Boob tube. There is a fair amount of nudity and sex in this movie. Yes. In um, fact, um, we'll talk about a few of the scenes, but let's just kick it right off with what's possibly the most iconic scene from this movie, which is the home invasion with uh, Alex and his gang singing, singing in the rain. Yeah. Um, now, before I ask you specifically what your take is of that scene, I want to say that the Alex performing the song as he attacks the writer was and his wife was not actually scripted. Uh, Stanley Kubrick spent four days experimenting with the scene, finding it too conventional. Eventually, he approached Malcolm McDowell and asked him if he could dance. And they tried the scene again. This time, McDowell danced, and he sang the only song that he could remember. Kubrick was so amused that he swiftly bought the rights to Singing in the Rain for $10,000. And then, of course, we hear uh, Alex singing it again in the bathtub, and it's how it ends the movie. In fact, other than the film Singing in the Rain, this is probably what the song is best known for, is this movie. Um, So much so that when Malcolm McDowell met Gene Kelly at a party several years later, the older star turned and walked away in disgust because Kelly was deeply upset about the way his signature song was portrayed in this film. Wow. <laughs> that is fascinating. Um, and, and, and at first I would have been like, oh, that's not that fair to Malcolm McDowell. But then it's like, well, no, actually he was the one who kind of made the choice to, to yeah, go with that song. He did. Like, uh, again, and that was just, you know, him, him, him doing his work as an actor to, to bring something to the table. So I don't totally that, blame him. But that like, scene <laughs> is simultaneously amusing 
and disturbing, almost in equal amounts, and that's kind of what works for it. What did you think about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it's an incredibly harrowing scene. Um, uh, and uh, and again, it's just it's it's framed so like perfectly and deliberately um and yeah and just like yeah the the way the way he goes about like you know building up to the eventual rape at the end it's just like yeah it, it was it, yeah it really did like make my skin crawl as i was watching it yeah. um it's uh and and yeah i guess maybe that's and and again, I think like Kubrick's framing of it maybe kind of helps to mask some of the horror of right. it because of how methodical it all is and how it plays out. And but, again, the the dark humor of it, and and the dark humor of it, and and all of that stuff. Um, it's just like again, it, it, it's and again, I don't want to jump jump the section too much, but it's like this is part of what like it. It it kind of just uh, it, it seems to paint this this image of criminality that's that again is just simply innately cruel for right. cruelty's sake. Right. And 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 I don't deny that there are some people in the world who behave like that. I mean, not like the specific right. types of action no, movie, yeah. but like there are people in the world absolutely who are innately cruel right. and and who do derive pleasure in an unhealthy way from inflicting cruelty on other people so like i don't necessarily want to you know want to you know come off as naive and and all that stuff but it's just like yeah but but like there's just something about how yeah about how how he goes about how how the whole thing plays out I mean, that, that, that that does that does kind of paint that just sort of like because again it's like the the movie you know kind of takes that as like you know it's 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 again it's asking this kind of societal question about you know how how does a society reckon with the criminal right, element right. and and so yeah it just kind of and that's another way that i feel like there's a comparison between like alex's character and patrick bakeman because i think like we never really get a sense of what made patrick patrick either like he's just sort of like a fully formed yeah. psychopath in that movie yeah. but it is but it is an interesting i feel like it kind of works against the movie, uh, what you're saying, because it does rob them of some level of like third dimensional humanity. But at the same time, it does seem to be very deliberately because it it comes from the novels in both cases. Like the filmmakers are adapting these work and Anthony Burgess um, and, and Brett Easton Ellis they both wrote these characters like this. They they wrote them to be anti-heroes who are fully formed sociopaths and psychopaths from the very beginning. Yeah. So it seems to be like a very deliberate choice. Almost, I feel like, not to really give us a sense of a real person, but to give us almost like a fable. Yeah, I guess a little bit. Um, but I but I, I completely agree with what you're saying. But I do. But I but what I'm saying is like you know this these are decisions that are not necessarily up to like the filmmakers in either case i think that it's something that comes straight from the source material yeah for sure for sure um as yeah and as as far as like just yeah how the scene plays out in the movie um yeah i mean i mean it's 
yeah, it's 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 a well done scene, and 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 again, and 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 not only just because of like you know how it's framed, but just because of how it how it builds and how it escalates, and it's kind of um, it it's almost obviously comes before Tarantino, but like Tarantino esque right. in terms of like the the building of tension mm-hmm. because of just like the fact that you start from inside the home and you know that there's an attack on the horizon, right, and and all of that stuff, so. Um, so, so yeah, and certainly in terms of like how it, how it, you know, like, like as a sequence of suspense and horror, like it's an incredibly effective scene. Um, the masks and everything too. It's all really freaky. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, um, so yeah, it's just, it's. It's a little, yeah. It's just, it's, it's a little harrowing, and 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 there, and and there are additional thoughts about the scene that that I think I, I may want to speak to more in the third segment. Um, it's, what's because it's a broad because it's a broader problem with the film, right? I think, too, it's an interesting but. to me just speaking about the scene specifically because I kind of I kind of get uh, I I think I know like where you're going with your want to talk in the next segment thing, and we'll discuss that yeah, for more. Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, it's interesting to me that the a lot of the violence not just in that scene but a lot of the violence um seems to also play out up to a point and then cut away and i don't know if that's just a sense if that comes from it's a movie made in the in the 70s so it wasn't as graphic as movies are today but like for example you know when we watched showgirls it did not cut away from that rape scene it showed it pretty yeah. brutally but in this movie, in both cases, because there are two rape scenes in this movie, yeah, and in both cases, it kind of it kind of cuts away before it actually becomes rape. We just get like everything adjacent to the rape. Yeah, that's the thing, and 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 sort of in terms of um, yeah, that they 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 do go all the way in terms of like you know showing like a whole you know wholly naked bodies, right? And there's and there's full frontal both. Oh, it's male, a clear male assault. And, male yeah. and female nudity, right? In in this film as a whole, um, but yeah, I mean, I think yeah, it's it's certainly I think. I, I think it, it, it was probably well. In fact, we're, 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 we can be certain that it's a deliberate stylistic oh, choice right. um, in Stanley Kubrick's part, and and I think that like he like yeah in in order to not yeah in order to not um, in order to not alienate too much of your audience, like yeah you you I think you do have to cut away mm-hmm. in, in that fashion, and uh, I. And I, I, the reason why I say specifically you don't want to alienate too much of your audience is because I think that certainly there would still be audience members um, who would still not help but be completely alienated by watching those scenes, even if it does cut away from the actual act of penetration. Just, In fact, a lot of critics were angered by this movie and the yeah. content of the movie. One of them was uh, Pauline Kale, who uh, he, she wrote... Uh, when I pass a newsstand and see the saintly bearded intellectual Kubrick on the cover of Saturday Review, I wonder, do people notice things like the way Kubrick cuts to the rival teenage gang before Alex and his hoods arrive to fight them just so we can have the pleasure of watching that gang strip the struggling girl they mean to rape? Alex's voice is on the track announcing his arrival, but Kubrick can't wait for Alex to arrive because then he couldn't show us as much. 
the girl is stripped for our benefit. It's the purest form of exploitation. And she goes on to incriminate the audience in Kubrick's uh, vicious cinematic endeavor. She says, when night after night atrocities are served up to us as, as entertainment, it's worth some anxiety. We become clockwork oranges if we accept all this pop culture without asking what's in it. How can people go on talking about the dazzling brilliance of movies and not notice that the directors are sucking up to the thugs in the audience? Really good points. I I agree. Like, I actually, yeah, I do completely agree with that. And I think that, like, and, and yeah, and I think it does, I think she's absolutely dead on about the fact that, like, those scenes really are shot in a way that, like, still highlights the attractiveness of these women that are being brutalized. And they're shot in a way that, like, yeah, is, is like, meant to titillate. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, and and so there is something unsettling about that. And, And in fact, in specifically the way that... Specifically, the way that like um, that that uh, Mrs. Alexander's dress is cut, um, oh, yeah. the, the way he does that, and again, that a, a, a big part of that is is fueled by character. It's highlighting the cruelty of the character, but also it's like you know, you 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 had you had to do a fair amount of planning to make sure that you know those cuts in her dress were done just right. Right. And so yeah, there is something like chillingly calculated about that just like both in terms of the character and then also in terms of you know just that as a choice as, as a filmmaking choice. So, and and Kubrick yeah. and Kubrick is one of those directors just like um like, just like Alfred Hitchcock. We've had this discussion when we talked about Vertigo. He's one of those directors that um, if if he's not a misogynist, I, I mean, I never knew the guy personally. If he's not a misogynist, there are very misogynistic tendencies in his work, yeah. just like Alfred Hitchcock. Um, and and a, a lot of his treatment, like we talked about Hitchcock's treatment of, of uh, Tippi Hedren in The Birds yeah. and Kim Novak in Vertigo. And a lot of is also known of Kubrick's treatment of Shelley Duvall in The Shining. Yeah. So um, and and then, you know, subsequently, as I talked about in the beginning of this episode, like he's not very well known for having fully formed three dimensional women, female characters in his films, period. Yeah. Um, So so there does seem to be even though he presents himself or he presented himself as this intellectual and his movies are fairly intellectual pieces of art. But there does seem to be like almost like a juvenile um, leering of of women in this film specifically, and in a lot of Kubrick's work. Yeah, and well, and this is and yeah, and again, I, feel, I feel, yeah, I'm, I'm like kind of wanting to jump to the third section because <laughs> like it's it, I think it's it's a problem, especially when you're kind of like having this film that's like about you know violence. And yet is so unempathetic to the victims of the violence. And and like really the 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 only person that the audience is put in a position to have any empathy for is Alex. Um, Even as we're watching how, you know, untrustful he is, we're still the the emphasis is still put on his suffering Mm -hmm. uh, as a product of all of these different things that he then goes through. And, And again, like, you know. 
I, I think, you know, he, he, he perpetrates horrendous acts of violence and is clearly a person in need of, like, intensive rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's just so odd. And, and, you know, and again, it's like to, to, to undergo a process of rehabilitation, even for people who perpetrate violent crimes, does, does require empathy, so, so that's a different conversation for sure. Um, in terms of the film itself, f- for Alex to be the only person that you know gets any empathy is is incredibly chilling. Mm-hmm. So even the only um, we're going up, uh, we were talking about how it kind of like dan- the film dances around the actual act of sex itself it just like shows us everything adjacent to it and even the only instance of consensual sex in the movie um kind of does that too by presenting it to us in a fast motion scene yeah uh and it's the sped up sex scene that was actually filmed in an unbroken take lasting 28 minutes and what we saw in the film was a sped up version of that now Kubrick was really well known as as requiring multiple takes. Sometimes to like people complain, as actors complain about having to take have to do so many takes for yeah. Kubrick films. Um, but Malcolm McDowell in this specific instance delighted at having to take multiple takes because since since it was one unbroken shot, Kubrick could not yell cut until it was over. And McDowell could accordingly do whatever he wanted to, during the take. So he and the girls kind of devised a plan to just keep going as long as possible. And he kept carrying the girls back to bed uh, again and again. And, and him doing it the second time was improvised by them. Like Kubrick did not expect that. And he did it so often that it finally irritated Kubrick, who shouted off camera, That's enough, Malcolm! That's enough! <laughs> Jesus, uh, uh, I, I I appreciate I appreciate that like all three actors were were in on the on this gambit to kind of fuck with fuck with Kubrick's uh, so 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 I guess did they so they didn't have to do too many more takes I guess of that scene then right they just like, did they one just... unbroken twenty eight minute take <laughs> well well good for them I guess uh, yeah the thought of Kubrick's screen. That's enough, Malcolm. Is great. <laughs> Let's um, go into our final segment. This one's called. Uh, that's problematic. problematic. Yeah, and and I guess there's yeah, it's almost kind of a a bit of a a bit of a Venn diagram between all three sections <laughs> in this particular case for some of the reasons we've already discussed, but you know, right. can be highlighted again, but. So yeah, let's talk about a little bit about the aversion therapy and the way that it's. That is portrayed in this movie. It's obviously like really negative, uh, or it's a it's a criticism of aversion therapy. But we talked about how yeah. how the film presents an either or option instead of the third option, which is rehabilitation. Yeah. But going back to the right wing mentality of the film, I do think that aversion therapy is something that right wing people kind of latch onto. Um, specifically, like we we're still struggling with that. A lot of people believe in gay aversion therapy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and so the specific technique that they're using in the movie, I don't know how close it is. Absolutely to, not. Right. To to any actual existing yeah. version of that type of 
yeah. of her. This is clearly sci-fi because there's no like serum that that can like make you revolt. Like you know, exactly. Yeah, they use. In fact, I would say that actual aversion therapies, not just gay aversion, but any type of aversion therapy, uses even more brutal methods. I would yeah. say. Because it's like uh, doing like uh, positive and negative reinforcement. Yeah. <laughs> so that can't be good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but do you think that the movie does at least like, you know, we, we talked a little bit about how it doesn't present that third option. But do you think that the movie does a good job of criticizing the pseudoscience of aversion therapy? I mean, I I think I think the the points that I think the film makes best are about how. If if you are gonna have a if you are gonna have a uh, a system of therapy that is specifically what's the word I'm looking for that is like that is like prescriptive to a to a all absorbing degree like a system of therapy that basically is about you know being overcorrective of a mm-hmm. person that like a person you know is is doing things and we're just going to specifically take all of that away um like reprogramming i guess you could say like i i think the film i think the point yeah the the points that the film makes about that kind of therapy are are well taken in terms of you know, again, while I have problems about Alex's character being the only character that that the film takes an empathetic eye towards, like I think that like it is like yeah, a, a therapy process like that is is very dehumanizing to the person who is receiving that kind of treatment, and and also because it you know it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't attend to you know the the underlying issues that the person is actually confronting mm-hmm. um i find it really and- interesting that in that in real life in aversion therapy it's been found to actually increase the likelihood of of suicide and i thought that, that was like a really telling thing about this movie yeah. that it, it that it shows that very that very conclusion like you know alex contemplates suicide twice once attempting suicide yeah exactly um and 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 because again it's like it's it is corrective but like it actually doesn't address any of the underlying Mm -hmm. issues um and 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 then again when we kind of broaden that conversation into the idea of gay aversion therapy there is no issue yeah there is yeah there is no underlying Mm -hmm. issue um uh, it it is yeah like the it's it is it is more important that a person you know be able to you know yeah yeah be able to acknowledge who they are um right. and and uh and and yeah there's there's nothing to correct period um as far as like as far as like yeah a a a a, a more healthy rehabilitative process obviously i don't know that much about the ins and outs of of the current state of the field um, but sorely lacking, I would say. Like, I think in America, I think we we even have like kind of like this same mentality going on. I feel like if if we if we our solution for everything is to put them into prison because we don't think that there is a way to rehabilitate. Yeah. We don't spend any money rehabilitating people, and in well, fact, and like people with mental illness are disproportionately sent to, to like jails and prisons also instead of being treated for their underlying conditions. Yeah, well, and, and also because like you know the, we we have. We're so lacking in mental health resources as well that, like, even 
even mental health facilities um, seem to uh, there there seems to be a perception that in many cases um, I'm I'm just going purely off of anecdotal you know what what little anecdotal evidence I've seen that like even mental health facilities in general can can many times be severely under-equipped to Hmm. actually address the needs of the patients because uh, so much more effort is just simply put into, um, you know, into, uh, you know, some form of drug cocktail that that keeps them, you know, relatively safe uh, and and also kind of keeps them in a similar sort of incarceral state where, you know, if if they're still in decrepit... Conditions that are not like you know that that are not that far removed from the conditions of a prison, uh, then you know the the only persons the the person's only motivations are going to be getting out by any means necessary, mm-hmm. and and so it can many times result in this kind of destructive gaslighting process yeah. where these patients in these facilities can sometimes be you know just sort of push to simply comply and 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 make everybody think that they're all better now when in fact they're the, you know they the facilities just don't have the resources to actually give the patients the attention they need to to just like get at the underlying issues yeah it's um, almost like you're treating you're treating uh, a, a deep wound with a band-aid yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's never so, really going to do anything. Yeah, and 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 like the you know, I again, there's there's so little that I know about the state of the field of mental health and and uh, and and what resources are available to many of these mental health facilities. So, um, and 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 also just like you know, when it when it comes specifically to the question of sociopathy, like if you know a, a person. <laughs> If if you know a, a person is is institutionalized because they you know they butchered their cat or something like that, like yeah, I I, I don't know too much about the answers to those underlying questions, but certainly um, yeah, this sort of brute force tactic, like a brute force tactic, whether it's by means of our own criminal justice system, which is absolutely a system of brute force, mm-hmm. um, and 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 seems to think that you know even substance abuse is must be met with brute mm-hmm. force as opposed to you know an actual recovery process um yeah i th- i think brute force is not going to work either way whether you go down the field of medicine or down the field of criminal justice so no, like I- and 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 again it's like you know when you look at um there are some european countries where like you know the prisons are more like you know are are more like you know, uh, retreats right. for retreats for, you know, the, the, like the high end retreats for substance addiction, where there's more freedom of movement and, yeah. you know, responsibility and access to resources for cooking and television and stuff like that. And, and it's like, it's like the only quote unquote punishment is just that, you know, they're, you know, they, they don't have freedom of movement beyond the facility, but it's and like in America, we have uh, some uh, prisons like that too, but they're reserved for white collar criminals, you know? Well, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And, and, and again, there's, there's so much more we could get into about the American criminal justice mm-hmm. system here and, and, and just how, yeah, how, how, how dysfunctional it is. But it's like, yeah, when, when you look at these, like, you know, these, these high end prisons where, you know, they actually are taking a rehabilitative approach, the recidiv, 
recidivism rate at those facilities is is significantly right. lower, whereas like we clearly have a a, a very dysfunctional system now that uh, in in the U.S. that. Uh, does not meet that same standard. So I don't want to make it seem like the movie is interested in addressing the topic specifically of gay aversion therapy. That's just where my mind went because that's the the most prominent type of aversion therapy that we're experiencing today, I think. Yeah. Uh, In fact, I feel like the movie is pretty reductive and problematic when it comes to how it discusses homosexuality. We have the scene... Um, where the the uh, the captain uh, the the prison captain or the warden uh, he asks Alex if he is or ever has been a homosexual. So you know we we're obviously dealing with a time and place where that was frowned upon. And then we have the scene in the in the in the prison chapel where we have the prisoners kind of like making googly eyes and kissy faces at, at yeah. Alex. Yeah, pretty. And then Alex calls them perverts. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, that's that's definitely yeah putting again a very reductive gloss mm-hmm. on um, on many different <laughs> actual lived realities right. of people and 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 sort of conflating it all and into one thing, which is quote unquote perverse homosexuality, right. which right. is obviously. Yeah, there's way more layers there. So, yeah, I didn't really appreciate that stuff too much either. Um, We do have a couple of women in positions of power, like doctors. But other than that, the women are not very well portrayed or treated in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and like every character really does seem to be like a bit of an afterthought beyond Alex right. in the movie. Um, maybe with the exception being uh, Mr. Alexander, who right. I think that performance is, is a really good performance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, like it's, yeah, it just, and, and again, it's just to kind of go back to, you know, the way the sexual violence in this film was still just like shot in such a deliberate, like, you know, fetishizing way, yeah. almost. It just, like, yeah, was incredibly disheartening. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just, yeah, it leaves a sour taste in my mouth. And, um, yeah, you know, certainly, yes, a few female doctors here and there. Um, but, yeah, not not much to speak of in terms of um, female characters. No, I will say I, I did I did appreciate the I did appreciate the pluck of the woman at the mental health farm. Like oh yeah, she, the cat she, lady. She, you know, she yeah, the cat lady. She was, um, but again, she's just the cat lady. Yeah, that's literally her character name. So there you go. <laughs> um, I, I I I liked the fight she had. Um, like and just kind of like she 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 clearly had some great venom to spit at at uh, mm-hmm. Alex. Uh, I also I liked the touch of her attacking Alex with a bust of Beethoven. I thought that was a that really, was also a nice touch. Really too. nice touch. Um, I did like that. Um, so yeah, she she was cool. She was super cool. And, and, the, and the psychiatrist, I think that the, the the image test at the end with the psychiatrist, uh, I thought that was a really cool scene. Also, yeah, that was an interesting scene. I I don't know. I don't know why his responses didn't. 
I mean, I, I, I guess I don't know. It, it's she seemed to she seemed to be taking all of his responses in stride, right. and, and I, I, I would have liked to have seen maybe like a more specific choice about whether she really was just completely oblivious to like how disturbing his responses maybe actually mm-hmm. were or whether like she was like putting on a putting on a good face mm-hmm. for uh for it um i i yeah because yeah that was that was a funny scene mm-hmm. um what else struck you as uh, problematic there's obviously not a lot of diversity in this movie yeah um yeah pr- pretty undiverse film for sure no, another thing that kind of like comes to mind because of 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 everything that's been kind of happening, you know, in America lately is the issue of police brutality and there is that one scene where Mr. Alexander like is on the phone and talks about or is he on the phone or is he talking to Alex? I don't know. But Mr. Alexander talks about how the government purposefully chooses um youths who are like violent thugs to go into the police service and then of course we we saw that borne out because uh two of alex's fellow droogs are policemen yes uh yes that was i i think that that yeah that casting choice of of the two former droogs as policemen was a stroke of genius Mm -hmm. um i really liked that choice um i yeah, I found that kind of interesting, again, because, I, I mean, from my own U.S. perspective, considering um, what a problem police brutality is specifically in the U.S., um, that I, I never really got much of a notion of whether they're really, whether England ever really had, like, its own p- reckoning with a pattern of police brutality or mm-hmm. anything like that, and I'm not sure whether whether the movie was specifically commenting on anything like that but um yeah just kind of yeah from my own american perspective and 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 uh, particularly in our current climate um of skepticism towards the role of police in society um yeah i thought that that choice to have the droogs be police officers later was was a was a stroke of brilliance I wanted to read to you um, what Roger Ebert wrote about the movie. Cool. Uh, I, know, awesome. I know that he's a favorite of yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, uh, like a lot of critics, he was appalled by Clockwork Orange. Now, he has celebrated Kubrick's other movies like The Shining 2001, but when it came to, to Clockwork Orange, he called it an, an ideological mess, a paranoid right-wing fantasy masquerading as an Orwellian warning. He says it pretends to oppose the police state and forced mind control, but all it really does is celebrate the nastiness of its hero, Alex. He goes on to describe how disgusting the movie was, how disgusted he was with Kubrick for making it and for slamming it as basically sadistic torture porn. He says, and I quote, I don't know quite how to explain my disgust at Alex, whom Kubrick likes very much, as his visual style reveals, and as we shall see in a moment, Alex is the sort of fearsomely strange person we've all run across a few times in our lives, usually when he and and we were children, and he was less inclined to conceal his hobbies. He must have been the kind of kid who tore off the wings of flies and ate ants just because that was so disgusting. He was the kid who always seemed to know more about sex than anyone else, too, and especially about how dirty it was. Um, Ebert goes on to say that there is no real reason to see the movie, and all the good reviews were basically hype, he says, and I quote, I don't know, but they've really hyped A Clockwork Orange for more than it's worth, and a lot of people will go if only out of curiosity, 
too bad. In addition to the things I've mentioned above, things that I really get mad about, A Clockwork Orange commits another, perhaps even more unforgivable, artistic sin. It's just plain talky and boring. You know there's something wrong with a movie when the last third feels like the last half. What mm. do you think of Mr. Mr. Ebert's remarks? Um, I... Yeah, some, some of his points I think are well taken. Um, you know... The uh, I don't necessarily think the the back third of the film was boring per se, but um, I think uh, I think he he's I think he he definitely is on to um, yeah kind of the 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 ideological inconsistency of the film. Or I, I, and again, I think like there's a lot of interesting ideas in yeah. there, and 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 some points that I think are well taken, but. Again, it just, I think it it all comes back to this fairly, this like fairly sort of juvenile conception of like what it means to be criminal and what it means to, and, 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 and what recourse society has to deal with criminality. And, and, uh, you know, again, like the, 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 you know, the warnings of the totalitarian police state kind of flew over my head until, you know, we started really hashing it out and breaking it down. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, I think a lot of, there's, there's a lot that I think kind of gets missed by virtue of the fact that, like, we're we're being given the sociopath character who is our only point of mm. reference for empathy mm-hmm. and 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 maybe maybe it's not so much like the extra work that we're doing to decipher his slang as it is just the fact that we're kind of having to sort of constantly wrestle with the fact that like he is this reprehensible person that like the film is constantly calling on us to still give a shit about right um he's an anti-hero yeah 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 definitely an anti-hero and 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 you know one that's a particularly vile anti-hero in fact i wouldn't even go as far as to call him an anti-hero because there's really there's 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 nothing heroic in 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 how he comports himself throughout the entire film at all and you know again like yes there are some great works of art that do depict you know, reprehensible people. Um, but they are great works of art because of what they tell us about, you know, how these people become this way, you know? And, 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 and like, like for instance, there will be blood. Like Mm -hmm. again, not to say that, you know, the, these are comparable characters, but like that, you know, he's a pretty reprehensible, manipulative person, Mm -hmm. um, Daniel Plainview. And, uh, uh, but we but we get like uh, an understanding that like even though the whole movie revolves around him and and pays very close attention to him as a person and 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 even calls on us to empathize with him, we still are struck by his vileness and the film and and the film you know and and the film makes many great great points about the nature of capitalism mm-hmm. and the nature of you know entrepreneurship and 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 the destructiveness of it um this movie i think yeah it just ideological mess i think is actually kind of apt for this one because it just it just it just gives too much 
credit and and generosity to Alex, and I think kind of at the detriment of like asking more nuanced questions about 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 how society actually reckons with you know real problems. The biggest question in the movie for me, um, and what's at, the, at its center is it's uh, the question of morality and uh, how it pertains to choice specifically. Um, is it better to have free will than to be a quote-unquote good person? And I do agree that the movie is, is, is um, I wouldn't go as far as to say messy, but it's very open-ended. Um, it doesn't answer a lot of questions, but it does pose a lot of questions. But, but what do you think about that central question of, of free, uh, is it better to have free will or is it better to be a, a good citizen, a good person? I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I think like free will, I, I mean, I just, yeah, I, I think that at the end of the day, yeah, obviously free will has to prevail. Right. Um, I just, I kind of think that, like, if if that is the question that the film is posing, it's, like, it's it's kind of a false choice because, like, I don't know. It just, it, it, it seems like it's, I don't know. It, it seems like it's it's posing this problem that almost doesn't exist in a way. Because, hmm. again, like, it just, the, the I yeah, the whole conception of Alex as a character mm-hmm. Again, it just—it's such a weird—it's just a, such a weird concept for a character that I don't know how I—it I, doesn't feel that based in reality, right, like right. in any way. Like I—I yeah, yeah. I think I think that yes, there are people who are cruel. Mm-hmm. But if, if, like, we, go, if like, we go back to the fable uh, interpretation, he's like a uh, a a a caricature of. Yeah, the he, type of person. So yeah, he's he's a and and so he's he's a caricature of of uh, one well, and this is the problem mm-hmm. is that like he's a caricature of like of of like let's say unruly youth, mm-hmm. unruly chaotic youth. Um and and all of the like violence and damage to society that comes with unruly youth. The problem is that it's such a gross caricature that it's completely devoid of, like, the real question of, like, you know, actual unruly youths Mm. who, you know... Who produces them. (laughs) Well, and and it's just, like... Again, it's just, like, we we have this character of Alex who, like, is, is a vessel of contextless violence. Right. Like so, so again, it's and he's just, obviously like really, really bright. He's charismatic. He loves music. He knows how to sing and dance. But like those are all like contexts that come without yeah. without context. You know, like it's yeah. All, and and then it's just like arbitrarily on top of on top of having a a decent upbringing mm-hmm. and 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 you know s- seeming to be somewhat steeped in culture. Uh, he he also just happens to you know, enjoy going out with the mates to, to rape and beat. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what set him on his path, you know? uh, Yeah. It's like, what set him on? Yeah. That's the thing. It's just like, yeah, the movie never actually gets at that question. And again, it's like that question about why is he actually fucking like this? 
like if you actually start to ask that question first, then we can start looking at the possible solutions. Mm-hmm. But like the fact that we get none of that context, we just get the fact that he exists, and then we get these two. Again, we're kind of set on this sort of very specific narrow binary, mm-hmm. um, which again maybe has as much to do with this dystopian vibe that they're going for as it has to do with like how how the movie actually conceptualizes criminality um yeah it's it's just it's kind of a mess and and the thing is like you know like and there's also the idea that free will isn't even a real thing like you know that's not in the movie at all but you know but that's another thing to wrestle when you're when you're taking into account the ma- the main question of the movie um is it is it important to have free will or be a good person but you know f- there's yeah. there's that there's that school of thought that's like well free will isn't really a thing because we're all just reacting to stimuli all day long. So any of our decisions are already kind of like preordained by what's going on around us. And yeah. So it's a kind of like an illusion kind of. Yeah. I hear you on that. I guess the other thing too, is that uh, the, the alignment from this movie that's kind of continuing to stick with me is, um, when the, when the chaplain from the prison uh, after the presentation following the, the Ludovico treatment, right. Um, the chaplain says that, like, you know, he's, you know, he's not choosing this. Um, I forget what the specific lines are, mm-hmm. but, but the yeah. chaplain's specifically making the point that he is not choosing this. Yeah. Um, and so... He's not actually reformed. Like, yeah, that he's not he's actually reformed. reformed. Mm-hmm. And, and so, again, I think that, like, that's that's a smart point that the movie is making. Um, and that's allude, alluded by the title. The title, like, A Clockwork Orange is an organic you know, thing that's, that's mechanical on the inside. Exactly. That's, that's what Alex becomes in the latter half of the movie. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think like, that's a point that's well taken. Um, and, and certainly is, is, and, and, and I don't, and I don't have necessarily an issue with like the film, you know, with, with the film, you know, interrogating this question of a society reckoning with its quote unquote criminal element and, and that being, you know, the question at stake, because I think that 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 gets at that gets at the issue with like, I, I think the problem is just that, like, we're 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 you know, it's it's a false choice because mm-hmm. whether you stick with the criminal justice system as is or whether you go with this specific brand of aversion therapy, either way, it's still an approach that's about brute force and about not acknowledging the the actual person's own humanity mm-hmm. and not actually attending to the issues that put them in that position in the first place and so yeah it's kind of yeah it's it's just it's it's operating on it's it's just merely operating on this like surface juvenile conception of criminality and it's kind of and also it's it's kind of propping up this sort of like you know this almost like weird sort of brand of like societal like white supremacy in Mm. a way by sort of saying like you know the only thing that matters is how we keep our quote-unquote society safe Mm -hmm. and so it just it completely neglects anything that doesn't fall within the the brackets of normalcy Mm. and 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 doesn't and it just you know it's 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 simply saying you know that that the only thing that has any value is 
is is preserving the societal status quo and anything that doesn't fall within it well too bad you're either going to go to prison or you're going to be brainwashed so and 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 that's a recurring theme that's a recurring theme in a lot of different you know british works mm-hmm. um and in, including 1984 right and, um so 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 and 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 that's that's a good and and that's a good thing to critique. Um this movie just kind of never really goes outside of that though. This movie's whole perspective exists within the within the pole of that society mm-hmm. and 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 it basically is completely operating from that point of view and mm-hmm. and and it's and it's asking the questions and only providing answers from within that context as opposed to actually stepping further back and and addressing the issue with why is it that only this specific idea of how correct society should operate is the only <laughs> Is, is the only thing that I'm holds not value. even sure if it answers a lot of the questions. I mean, it, it just provide it has a lot of questions, but I'm I'm not even sure if it if it tries to answer a lot of them. You know? Oh no! Well, well, but that's the point, though, is that like all of the questions that it proposes are are kind of based within this very narrow continuum, as opposed to like taking a step back and you know acknowledging that you know it's not all about just keeping the upper middle class feeling comfortable. Mm. So uh, as we wrap up our discussion, I wanted to talk about um, the the work again a little bit. Uh, so Anthony Burgess, who wrote the novel, he is English. Uh, Stanley Kubrick is an American filmmaker, although he lived in England at the time and for most of his adult life. Um, but there are two versions of the novel, uh, Clockwork Orange. Um, and in the British version, there's an extra chapter at the end. Uh, right after he is Alex is quote unquote cured at the hospital, he um, grows up and becomes an adult, and he ends up living a rather peaceful life, and he ends up getting married and having children, just having like a boring middle class existence. He completely, basically, does reform on its own, on his own. He chooses to live a peaceful life. Now, when that novel was published in America, the American editor decided that the final chapter um, undermined the themes of the book. So he uh, deleted it from from publication. They just published the book up to basically what we see in the movie. And as far as um, book-to-film adaptations where Kubrick is concerned, this is actually his most faithful adaptation of book-to-film. And he was given the American version to read and in fact, he says that he wasn't even aware that there was an extra chapter until they were already filming the movie. So he it never came, came to his mind to finish it in in a more rehabilitatory sense and giving like that that epilogue for Alex. Um, what do you think that? First of all, I'm going to ask you if you think that ending it the way it ended in the British book maybe would have would have done a good a better job at, at answering a lot of those questions that, that you know that you're, that you're talking about and also be along those same lines I want kind of wanted to hearken back to a, a point that we or that I made when we watched Starship Troopers um, a few weeks ago um, because I felt that Starship Troopers, well, I guess it's not a feeling that I have. Like the book, the book is not a satire. That's a pretty common yeah. thing. Yeah, it's in earnest, and then and then Paul Verhoeven chooses 
to tell it as a satire. Yeah. I feel that this movie's kind of the opposite. I feel like the novel by Anthony Burgess is very clearly a satire, but Kubrick kind of takes away a lot of the satirical edge and tells a more in earnest story. So those are my two questions. A, do you think that the ending change affected um, the the messaging of the film? And then B, do you feel like this movie kind of lost some of its bite because it is not as satirical as the novel? Interesting. Um, so uh, that, that's interesting hearing about that the novel, I guess, ends with him ultimately coming to some sort of peace in his own life. Mm-hmm. Um because I guess in a way, like, if he does, then I don't know whether... I mean, maybe the the novel as a whole is a satire, but also if it resolves, like, with this peaceful, hopeful end. Um, like, I don't know. I guess, like, giving it an ending that's a neat... That's, like, tied up neatly like that... Like gives it a clean ending but at the same time would kind of it it just sort of makes us go like well okay what do we go through all this weird skepticism right. in all the previous chapters for so so in a way i almost feel like the ending finishing on the note that it does um i think kind of actually is is perfect for it to be a, a, a piece of satire. And having read the novel, I agree with you. I think that the last chapter is unnecessary. Yeah, and and so I think that yeah, I, I don't I I think that yeah, it I I think yeah, I I think to add an additional chapter, especially if it's a chapter that gives it like a clean or happy ending where he he you know somehow rehabilitates. Yeah, it kind of. I, I think it sounds like the novel would be the thing that more robs the story of mm. satire than the the choice the film makes of ending it where it does. Because mm-hmm. again, I think it's a very skeptical ending, and mm-hmm. and and I do appreciate that ending, right? Um, for those reasons, um, that when because I'll I, I will I will always I will always be happy with anything that's cynical about politics. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like Absolutely. like yeah, cuz politics is awful. Um but do you do you think but, that the movie could have leaned a little more into the satire or do you do you like that Kubrick did kind of take a step back from that and present a more earnest version? I don't story. know. I mean, I, I, I'm not necessarily so sure. I'm not necessarily so sure that the choices Kubrick makes would. I mean, again, I haven't read the book for mm-hmm. for sure, but um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I think. I mean, I think that, but certainly, again, we have we have an issue with the fact that Alex seems to be the only you know the only one worthy of empathy. So I do think that 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 muddies the waters of the film a little bit. Um, and, and yeah, I guess, again, it's like, it just, cause, cause yeah, we haven't really been talking too much about the movie as a product, as a work of satire per se in this discussion. Because, because the film doesn't really present itself that way. Yeah. And, and, and maybe, and, and, and maybe that would have been a little more appreciated. Again, a, a part of it is just that like, we're, we're already reckoning with, with so much brutality just like in the first few minutes and uh so so it's it's kind of tough to get your bearings in the midst of all that and so i don't know that's a good question um and maybe maybe it's there i mean there there doesn't have to be an easy question to it um or an easy answer to it yeah i just find that interesting that kubrick like 
as opposed to like you know the again going back to Starship Troopers where Verhoeven puts a veil of satire on this material, like Kubrick kind of like lifts the veil. He's like, okay, I'm just going to show you this story, and uh, and leave these questions open ended. But I feel like a lot of the open ended questions would have felt more comfortable if we had a story that was more clearly illusionary. Maybe a little bit. Well, and and I guess maybe that's sort of where our problem is, because I think like if it did have a more satirical edge to it, um, you run the risk of being even more empathetic, more unempathetic towards like the victims of all the violence and stuff like that. Um, So or even to Alex, honestly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that like I think yeah if if we want to yeah if we want to strip away more of the empathy altogether in the film like yeah then obviously Alex wouldn't be receiving as much empathy either. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Or I mean, maybe I don't know. I could see I could see maybe some sort of a mix where where the movie actually. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. It's there's yeah. It's it's a bit of a mess. It's it's a bit of a mess, and and it's like again, it's it's so fascinating because it is you know just on a craft level so deliberately crafted, right. and and um, I mean technically it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I on do, a purely I technical do. level, it's just like yeah, it, it just it just I think it it it, it suffers from it suffers from just like such a I don't know. I th- I think the f- the my problem with the film is just like it's it's just like that the whole the whole point of view of the film is so narrow. Mm. Um not just in terms of that it's a single narrator or anything like that, just more that like yeah, the 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 whole the whole approach to the questions that the film wants to wrestle with and the themes and all that stuff it just it's it feels it like like it's it's dense but it's it's dense yes i would say like yeah there's a lot Mm -hmm. but it is all sort of densely packed into like a very limited frame of reference i guess so what are your final thoughts on the movie do you think it's uh ultimately you know do you think it's a a bad movie uh so-so movie okay movie good movie great movie where do you land? This is this is tough because like Yeah, because I, I, I really am wrestling I really am wrestling with like the the, the 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 questions and the themes and the ethics like behind the film. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I guess I'm gonna have to say like good verging on so so in a way because mm, be, because because I think it really is so fantastically shot and so fantastically well made and again just such a one like a wonderful performance um but I do think that like I, I think that like yeah the 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 whole the whole again I've said it a million times but like yeah just like the juvenile conception of criminality and and the lack of empathy for you know any of the victims of 
this brutal violence that the film is depicting and it just like it's it's all beautifully realized and and beautifully shot but it just kind of i don't know it 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 it, it, it feels a little bit like more attention was paid to the to the to the craft and the framing than to like what the film is actually trying to say and mm. i'm not and and i don't necessarily think the film needs to have uh, again, like I, I don't think that a film has to come. It a, a film doesn't need to have like a, a specific answer, um, but it just it it feels like it, I don't know. It feels like there's a limit to the scope of mm. of how the film is wrestling with these issues. So yeah, it's it's good verging on so so for me. Mm. I would say it's good verging on great. I wouldn't go as far to say it's a great film. Again. Uh, like I said at the very beginning, it's not 2001, it's no. not Dr. Strangelove, <laughs> it's not Barry Lyndon, it's definitely middle of the road Kubrick. It's a really, really good movie. Okay. Uh, it's the, the craft of it is impeccable, technically brilliant. Um, it, the, the, I mean, the visually, you could even say that it, it's pretty close to a masterpiece visually. But ideologically, it is a mess. Yeah. Um, it's not th that clear what we're supposed to take from it. And I feel like in a lot of ways that is kind of the point of the movie, but I don't feel too confident after watching the movie that that's the point of the movie. And that's kind of the problem. Because I feel like if I were to watch a movie that's like a bunch of big ideas and I'm supposed to go home and think about the ideas, which I do, obviously. We've been talking about this movie for like two hours after this movie, you know? Yeah. So obviously there is a lot of takeaway of these big ideas, but I don't feel like the movie is offering me that option on the plate. Does that make sense? Like, I don't feel like the movie is like, here's yeah. a bunch of big ideas for you to take home and think about. It's more like the movie is saying, here's a bunch of big ideas. Enjoy the movie. Bye. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. It just, yeah. Again, it's just like, you know, the, yeah, the, the choices you make as a filmmaker, you know, affect so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like, you know, like how how high a camera is relative to a right. person yeah. Every says series. everything yeah. about like who they are and how the audience should feel about them, mm -hmm. you know? And And Kubrick and, very clearly makes those choices. Yeah, exactly. It's just like it's just But to what end? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like that's the thing. I, I really am not sure what yeah, I just I'm not sure what to what I'm trying to take away here. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah. And 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 yeah, and I and I really appreciated a, a lot of those critical voices that you brought in because mm -hmm. I think like those those all raise like just really great points about like the how how you have to go beyond just like you have to go beyond just kind of you know depicting you know a antihero or at least aspiring antihero. Right. Again, I don't even think. Alex is deserving of that designation, but like, but he is our protagonist. But but yeah, cer certainly our protagonist. Like yeah, you can you can have them. Yeah, you can you can have this kind of you know, I guess repulsive character. Let's say, mm -hmm. and, and again, there's a lot of great repulsive characters just like 
throughout the history of storytelling. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. They're just this movie. Yeah, this movie. Yeah, this is a tough one. There's I, a lot to say, but it's tough to it's tough to land right. on. And it's tough to land on a final on and, a final position. And like I said at the beginning, like if you know to bring the this back full circle to the the Beatles comparison. Oh boy, yes, <laughs> yes, I'm in my element finally. Okay, so, you know, ahead. like you know, like an album, you know, like like Help, for example, like which I compared this movie to. Yeah, has uh, half of, of that album is like bonkers, really good, and then half of it is kind of like filler-ish, you know. Yeah. But 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 it doesn't mean that it's a bad album. It just means that it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's it's there, and it's still a masterwork by yeah. great technicians. Yes. It just doesn't doesn't quite reach those like levels of. Of their of the best work, so like if we're again, this is a this is a good movie and uh, it's it's technically brilliant, and if we're gonna compare it to other Kubrick movies, I would put it in the same level of The Shining and Full Metal Jacket. Those are all movies that, although they're technically brilliant, thematically they leave a lot to be desired, um, but that doesn't mean that it's a that it's not worth watching. Um, because there is a lot of like good that you can take out of it. There is a lot of vileness in this movie. I agree with Pauline Kale that some of the lingering shots on the female form um, kind of put us in, in in a state where okay, well, what what makes us better than Alex because we are kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. Like, well, and, and, and yeah, and 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 that's and that's the thing that kind of drives me crazy, and why I specifically like made that point about. God, I can't believe we're like already going back deep into the reads after we've already done our final appraisals. But I'm just going to make this final point that uh -huh. like that like uh, again when I made when I made that point earlier about like you know that you know the the choices that Kubrick made to not be as alienating to the audience because I I don't know how any person who's been a victim of sexual assault mm -hmm. can can like come like again because I'm I am I am a a straight white male. Who has not been a, who has not ever been a victim of sexual assault? Right. So I don't so so I don't know how any person who has gone through that or even who has lived their life under the threat of that can can at all like can can at all find any level of just like le can 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 come away from a sequence like the the assault at the Alexander home like just I I think like I I would think that like that. I don't know. Again, that scene, because that scene, like, almost kind of, like, casts a shadow over the whole film for me, in a way, mm -hmm. just in terms of its its deliberate cruelty. And that's the and, most no well-known scene, also. And it's And it's the most well-known scene of the movie, and, and I think that for somebody for whom the reality of sexual assault hits even closer to home, like, I can't even imagine what it would be like seeing a scene like that. Now, so. as, as far as, like, you know, when you compare it to the work, to cinema as in general, yes, there are... I feel like there are obviously like worst scenes than that, like but but there are also like better ways to do it. Yeah, well, it's um, just like yeah, because again, it's just like there's I don't know, almost like a glibness about the whole. thing. There very like, much is, yeah, and it's because it's glossed over again by yeah. the juvenile humor of it. Yeah, the juvenile humor, and and again, just like this this broad yeah this broad understanding of what being a criminal means mm -hmm. and so and again like it, it maybe if we had that veil of sarcasm to help us digest what we're seeing but it but because it's told in earnest and so we're meant to find it 
repelling but amusing because of Alex's choice to sing Singing in the Rain during that scene. Like, it, it, it kind of leaves you... The, that scene is actually the perfect encapsulation of how you feel about the movie as a whole because it's like a mixture of amused and repelled. Yeah. And, and, and the reason why I say it's good verging on great is because it still leaves you with enough meat to where we can have a discussion like this. Yeah. And appreciate the film on a thematic level like this. Yeah. So even though we both find it lacking and wanting, yeah. it at least has enough fuel to, you know, it wasn't just like a five minute conversation where we're like, yeah, this movie blows, <laughs> you know? Agreed. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, I, I think there is a lot there. It's just, I don't know. There's, yeah, there's, there's something, yeah, there's something lacking in, in how it's framed. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know what the answer is for, for what, for which way it should be going to yeah, who knows to frame it better, but um, but there's definitely yeah. something that there's a, there's a lot there. Um, it just I think yeah, and 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 again, it's just like yeah, it, it needs and and it, it it should have I think a little more nuance about yeah, it should have a little more nuance. I mean, if you're go, if you're yeah. going to go the earnest route yeah. again, if you're going to take out that veil of satire, then you got to give us a little more humanity. Yeah. And if you're not gonna do that, then all you're showing us is yeah. is just like technical brilliance. That's all it is, really. Yeah. So you're showing us an, an interesting story. It's not an uninteresting story. It's an interesting story, but it's a very repulsive tale, just told in a very masterful way. Yeah. You know, it's, it almost reminds me of like Lars von Trier's work, like like Antichrist and the house that Jack built and, you know, stuff like that where like what you're, what you're watching like almost makes you kind of like violently puke. Yeah. But it's filmed so beautifully. So you're like, wait a minute. What exactly is the point with the art here? Because obviously you are a skilled artist. Yeah. So who are you making this movie for? <laughs> Yeah. Are you making it? Is this an act of self-masturbation that you can be like, hey, uh, let me show you a lot of ultra violence and a lot of in and out, in and out, but it's going to be beautifully shot, guys. Yeah. Hey, 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 jerk off all over myself. <laughs> you know, is that what Kubrick is doing? Or I don't know. I don't know. Look, I think, I think, I think there's a school of criticism that, that I think can, re you know, look again, like the, the, um, so much of Western culture is is dominated by you know white male yeah. white male artists of all stripes right. and and so I think that like yeah when when you start to ask more pointed critical questions about the actual point of view that they're bringing to their art like yeah we you might you might find that many of these artists maybe don't amount to much more than you know somewhat aesthetically pleasing uh, jerk offery so. I think that's a great conclusion to our discussion. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I like it. Great. Glad. So we watched this movie because this uh, was, I think, the best example of gratuitous sex and violence in Kubrick's filmography. Yeah. Definitely that, fits that, the bill. That's fair. Too. It also has a, level, a high level of schlock value, I would say. Yeah, there, there is a slight schlockiness mm -hmm. to it. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Because it's kind of low budget in a way. Yeah, I was wondering about that at the beginning, but like, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of a schlock touch to it that I, yeah. Again, again, deliberately, beautifully framed schlock. Right. 
but I but I do I do recommend you know watch more Kubrick films because he is one of the the masters out there. But but never take away that critical eye and don't be afraid to speak truth to power and call these artists out for lacking in in their artistry. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for watching A Clockwork Orange with me, Ned. Genuine pleasure. And uh, I hope that uh, you guys out there join us next time for another exciting schlock masterpiece. Until then, just take a bite out of that orange. The orange is watching movies. Nice. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Just, I hope we're gonna have some good